Mark chapter 6 this morning. Mark chapter 6. Always at a holiday time, I debate whether or not we should have uh, a, a specific message that is related to the, to the event. Should we have something specific to Christmas, or should we just continue on in our study? But as I looked at where we were, I realized we could do both this morning. So this message, I think you'll see, uh, applies very well to the day. Mark chapter 6, I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, the danger of familiarity. The danger of familiarity. Verse number one, then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many, hearing him, were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit, teaching. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, that no matter, we, no matter where we open this book and what pages our eyes fall upon, there is something there that speaks to our heart and teaches us. And I pray today, as we look at this passage from Mark, that you'll do just that. Speak to our hearts today. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. Help me to be as clear and accurate and practical as I can be. And uh, help me, Lord, to not say anything I ought not, but to say everything I should. And just bless this message to our hearts. I pray, Lord, if there are those here today to whom it is specifically applicable, that you'll apply to their hearts, speak to them, uh, and uh, Lord, we just, we just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So in this text, Jesus goes home. He returns to his family and his friends and his childhood acquaintances and haunts. He returns to Nazareth. Nazareth was his own country. It's attested to by the fact that he was often called Jesus of Nazareth. It was about 20 miles southwest of Capernaum, where we left him at the end of chapter 5. So he returns home. And he preaches in their synagogue. And initially, verse number 2, the people respond with amazement. But then that amazement degenerates. And by the time we get to verse 6, we see that they are indifferent, and they are in contempt, and they are in disbelief. It was Publius Cyrus in 2 B.C., who is credited with first using the phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. Publius Cyrus. And for the two millennia since he first said those words, men and women have experienced the truth of it. We all know it's true. Familiarity breeds contempt. And I want you to consider this morning, just for a minute, how this event in the life of Jesus demonstrates and illustrates that very truth. I want you to think, first of all, about this. His hometown had every reason to believe him. They had every reason. They had heard of his miracles in verse number 2. They were amazed at them. Since he was performing very few here, according to verse number 5, this must refer to miracles that had been performed elsewhere, news of which had trickled back and filtered back home. They were amazed at his miracles. They were also amazed at his words. Verse 2 says they were astonished at his teaching. Indeed, can you imagine what it must have been like 
Can you imagine what it must have been like to hear the teaching of Jesus Christ? Where did this man get these things, they asked. It indicates that they knew something. There, there was something beyond the norm about his teaching and about his words. And they had experienced his teaching before. This is not the first time he has come home to Nazareth. He had come home one other time. This was his second trip. In Luke chapter 4, we read about the first time. And do you remember how that one ended? That one ended with them getting so upset and incensed at his teaching that they rushed him to the brow of the hill and tried to throw him off and murder him. That was the first time. The people of Nazareth had the same evidence as everyone else. And they were initially as astonished as everyone else. But that astonishment turned to offense and unbelief. They were offended, verse number 3 says, and they did not believe, verse number 6 says. And so that first trip back home had ended disastrously as they tried to kill him. And now the second trip back home was also ending badly with his family and his friends basically just being indifferent to him. Warren Wiersbe said, This time they did not evict him. They simply didn't take him seriously. They had every reason to believe him. Think about this. These were the most privileged people to have ever lived on earth. They had seen him and lived with him as a child. They grew up with him. They watched him grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, as Luke chapter 2 and verse number 52 tells us. They had the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Prince of peace, Emmanuel, with them in their midst for the greater part of 30 years. And yet they were unchanged and unconverted and unbelievers. Indifferent and disinterested in him. And if you're like me, you think about that and you have to ask the question, how can that be? How could it possibly be? Well, his hometown's problem was they thought they knew him. They thought they knew him. J.C. Ryle said that in this passage we see how apt people are to undervalue things with which they are familiar. Or as old Publius said, familiarity breeds contempt. See, according to verse number 3, they saw him as just a carpenter. Isn't this the carpenter? One man said this, And I think it's true. In Israel, carpentry was an insignificant occupation. While working in metals was considered an art, carpentry was a part-time trade. The carpenter used a few crude tools, fixed broken doors or plows, made wooden spoons and wooden door keys and shaped rude tables and chairs. In the east, houses were constructed of stone or mud bricks, and most household dishes were of pottery. And indeed, if you've gone with us to Israel, you know that's true. Jerusalem is entirely built of stone. There's almost no wood to be seen anywhere. There was just there's little need for the skilled work done by modern carpenters. So to call Jesus carpenter was to dismiss him as one who followed an insignificant trade. As today one might say, ah, oh, he's just a day laborer. Isn't this the carpenter? The, Jews, the Jesus that they knew and remembered was just a common man. Now, to us who believe, that's part of his glory, isn't it? That's one of the things that we praise God for. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name, which is translated God, with us. To us, it's a cause of rejoicing, isn't it? That he came to be with us, to dwell among us, to be like us. But to them, it made him unworthy of much attention. They saw him as just a carpenter. Not only that, they saw him as the illegitimate son of Mary. Also, verse number three. Do you notice that little son of Mary phrase in there? It's not a common phrase. It's not something that you would have seen 
a person being called after the mother's name, not in that culture. Now, one possibility that sometimes will arise from that, as people try to figure out what that meant, is that the uh, when they used the, the phrase, the son of Mary, to describe him, they were referring to the fact that Joseph was dead. And we do believe that Joseph was dead at this time. Normally, a person was referred to as the son of their father, seldom, if ever, referred to as the son of the mother, unless it was derogatory. Joseph was probably dead, but... The most likely reason that they called him the son of Mary was not that. More likely, it was meant to be derogatory. It was meant to be an insult. It was meant to imply the illegitimacy of his birth. A few years ago, a a, a faith-based movie came out, which I'm sure many of you have seen, called The Nativity Story. Uh, As a matter of fact, we snatched a picture from that for our bulletin the other night during uh, Christmas Eve, I believe. Uh, it's just become kind of a tradition in my house to watch that every single Christmas. I just think it's a beautiful portrayal. And there's one scene in there that is is, is kind of amusing because they really very well depict the, the the way that people responded to the announcement or to the fact that Mary was with child. People knew there was something odd about Joseph and Mary's relationship in Jesus' birth, especially in the town of Nazareth where they lived with them. If the explanation of the virgin birth was known, they certainly didn't believe it. And I doubt that it was really shared with anybody else. Jesus was subject always, even into his adulthood, to the sideways glances of people who questioned the legitimacy of his birth. One day Jesus was talking with some other people and he said this. He said, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Did you get that? They meant exactly what they said right there. We know where you came from, Jesus. We know your birth is illegitimate. We were not born of fornication. They, they, they thought they knew him. They thought, isn't this the carpenter? They thought they knew him as just another common laborer like the rest of them. Isn't this Mary's son? They thought they knew him perhaps better than most knew him, even to the point where they were privy to all the scandalous details of his supposedly illegitimate birth. And they knew his family. They knew his family, at least some of which were still living among them, verse number 3 tells me. As an aside, by the way, much is seen of Jesus' earthly family here. Some of you are from a Catholic tradition, and the Catholic tradition oftentimes teaches that Jesus had no siblings, but that is clearly not true. Here it is, the pages of Scripture. Joseph is not mentioned here again because he was probably dead, but we clearly see he had at least, Jesus had at least four brothers and at least two sisters. His brother James is named here. James would later become the head of the church at Jerusalem. Read about that in Acts chapter 15. He would become the author of the book of James in the New Testament. His brother Jude is mentioned here. That brother would author the next to the last book in your New Testament. The book bears his name, the book of Jude. Two other brothers, Joses and Simon, we know nothing else about them, but they're mentioned here. They were his brothers. He had at least two sisters, unnamed, but the plural is used. There's at least two of them, so we don't know how many people of Nazareth knew him. 
Isn't this the Jesus who grew up here? Isn't his carpentry shop right down the street? Isn't this the one whose birth was so scandalous about 30 years ago? His sister lives right next door to me. We know this guy. And they thought they knew him, and they were therefore offended at him. That's what verse number 3 says. That word translated offended comes from the Greek word scandalizomai, from which comes our English word scandal. It means they were caused to stumble. They were tripped up by the fact they couldn't figure him out. They couldn't explain him. So they rejected him. Hughes says that knowing his claims, they were faced with the great trilemma of C.S. Lewis. He was either the Lord, a lunatic, or a liar. C.S. Lewis one time said those were the only three possibilities when considering the claims of Jesus Christ. He was either either the Lord, or he was nuts, or he was a liar. We have no other possibility. So Hughes says they were faced with that great trilemma, and they chose liar, and a demonized one. And, of course, this was all part of Messianic prophecy. Isaiah had said, He will be as a sanctuary, but a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense to both the houses of Israel, as a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So familiarity breeds contempt. And we see here how apt people are to undervalue things with which they are familiar. So I can see you all looking at me right now, and you're all saying, So what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? Well, think about it for a minute. I think familiarity is just as problematic today as it was then. And I can't think of a greater example of how people today, just like the people of Nazareth, undervalue things with which they are familiar. I can't think of a greater example than the way we do with Christmas. In the text, it was familiarity with the person they thought they knew that brought contempt. They undervalued him. In our case, and at this time of year, it's danger of being overly familiar with the story and undervaluing it. We've heard it so many times. It no longer astonishes us as it did. It no longer makes us pause and wonder as it did. We support a lot of missionaries. We support several from New Tribes Missions Organization, one of my favorite missions organizations, because they concentrate on reaching unreached people groups. When they go into a a place where someone has never heard of Jesus Christ, they have no concept of Christianity. They've never heard any of it. They're normal Methodists. They just start at the beginning of the Bible, and they just share the story from beginning to end chronologically. And I challenge you to go out sometime, look on uh, YouTube, and look at some of the videos of some of the times where people have heard for the first time what Christ did for them. It's, it's an astonishing thing to see. Do you remember the first time you heard it? Do you remember? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, 
How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Has that become familiar to you? Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Familiarity breeds contempt. Has it done so in you? Has that become familiar to you, to where you don't hear it like you once did? It came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Is there a danger of undervaluing these things that we have become so familiar with? When the shepherds heard the announcement of the angel, there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, they were so moved by it. They had to go see. When the Magi in the east saw the star, they were moved to journey many many miles and over many days to see the king. What about you? 
And what about the Christmas story moves you? Or has it become too familiar? Jesus did very few miracles in Nazareth. We see that in verse number 5. Not because he was unable. Don't, don't make that mistake. But because he acts in response to faith. When faith is small, so too are the results of it. And he marveled at their lack of faith. In verse number 6, only one other time in the Bible do we see Jesus marveling. One other time. It's in Matthew chapter 8 when he marveled at the centurion's faith. And now here we see him marveling at their lack of faith. These, his family, his friends, his neighbors, he marveled. And, of course, there were ramifications to their indifference. There's no record that Jesus ever came back to Nazareth again. There was no third visit. So I wonder this morning, what about you? Has familiarity bred contempt in you? I doubt it. You're here this morning on the Lord's Day on Christmas Sunday. But nonetheless, we should think about this. Perhaps we who are members of the fold, perhaps we who are believers, ought to examine our lives a little bit this morning and determine whether we've allowed ourselves to slip into that kind of a dangerous state. Does the glory and wonder of Christmas fill you with wonder as it once did? Maybe some this morning need to pray, Lord, renew that within me. And if we take our minds off Christmas for a moment, think more generally, has the truth of the gospel taken root in your life? Have you made the connection that that babe of Bethlehem came to be the crucified Savior of Calvary and that he came for you? What are you trusting in for your salvation? Is it him? Or is it something else? Have you heard the gospel so many times you can recite it by rote? And yet have you not yet acted upon it? Maybe you're fooling yourself this morning that you're saved just because you are familiar with it. Some this morning may need to do what they've heard prescribed for so many years of their lives over and over and over and over. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And then one last thing that we might think about, one last way we might apply it is what are you basing the priorities of your life upon? Is Jesus the priority, the first in your life? Or... Have his claims been heard by you so many times that you don't hear them anymore? One of my favorite commentators on the book of Mark is uh, Kent Hughes, and he says this. He says, there is no danger to us of a physical familiarity with Christ which obscures his divinity and authority of us as there was at Nazareth. It was physical familiarity there. But there is a danger of familiarity dulling us to the deep spiritual demands of our faith. The sacred words which so easily get tossed around in Christians' conversations can render holy mysteries banal. This desensitizes us to the personal demands of God. We say, oh, I know that. It's not so great. It's an everyday thing. But it is not. It is not. Christ, our life, is an ongoing miracle. Incarnation and grace and resurrection are the most beautiful and mysterious words. And we must never let our growing familiarity rob us of the dazzling wonder and demands of our faith. And so some this morning might need to pray and repent of indifference, of undervaluing those things that are familiar. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary? The brother of James and Joses and Judah and Simon are not his sisters here with us. And they were offended at him. 